January 13th, Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 38. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt down before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand upon her. As Jesus and the disciples were going to the official's home, a woman who had had a hemorrhage for twelve years came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, If I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around and said to her, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he noticed the noisy crowds and heard the funeral music. He said, Go away, for the girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. When the crowd was finally outside, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. The report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us! They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it will happen. And suddenly they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, Don't tell anyone about this. But instead, they spread his fame all over the region. When they left, some people brought to him a man who couldn't speak because he was possessed by a demon. So Jesus cast out the demon, and instantly the man could talk. The crowds marveled. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. But the Pharisees said, he can cast out demons because he is empowered by the prince of demons. Jesus traveled through all the cities and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and wherever he went, he healed people of every sort of disease and illness. He felt great pity for the crowds that came, because their problems were so great, and they didn't know where to go for help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is so great, but the workers are so few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send out more workers for his fields. Say David was a type of Jesus. I like to think that really David, the primary role of David's existence was to give us a window into our Messiah King that would come someday. I'll give you one last story to illustrate this powerful reality for us today. You're no longer in your sin, believer. You are not in it. You are not of it. It does not fit you. It does not control you. It does not rule you. You do not have to spend the rest of your days obsessed with your waywardness, your wickedness, your faults, your failures, and your sins. You have been set free, and now you can live preoccupied with your champion, Jesus.
You remember the story, David? David who conquered a great giant named Goliath. The Bible says God's people, the Israelites, the armies of Israel were in a standoff for 40 days and 40 nights with their arch enemies, the Philistines. The Philistines had a great champion. He stood nine feet, nine inches tall. His name, Goliath. And he taunted the people of God. Bible says he stood and said, send me a man who will fight with me. And he taunted God's people the same way sin taunts humanity today. Jesus' blood doesn't work. I still own you. I'm still the theme of your life. You can't break this addiction. You're mine. Goliath has a sermon if you listen. He'll preach, he'll preach, he'll preach there came an unlikely champion just as Jesus the Bible says who was a common looking man the Jews didn't see him for who he really was they saw him as just an average Jew running uh, be one of the local candidates for Messiah and they had had so many so it was like David who came very unsuspecting to the front lines of the armies of Israel sent by whom his father David was there doing the will of his father in the same way Jesus was on the planet doing the will of his father David came to the front lines just like Jesus came to the front lines of humanity. And David heard this taunting giant. And he said, are we okay with this? And the Bible says the Israelite men, they shook with terror. And if you've never shook at the terror of your addiction and your sins, I know I have. God, am I ever going to overcome this? Am I even capable? And the Bible says the Israelites were so afraid. They were shaking. They were terrified. They were horrified. They were doomed. We're no match for this giant. The Bible says David went down to a brook and he pulled out five smooth stones. Five is the number of grace. In the same way, Jesus came as sheer gift, sheer grace to deliver humanity from the tyranny of sin. So David took five smooth stones to deliver the Israelites from the tyranny of Goliath. Bible says that David, verse 48, it says David ran towards the giant. Who is this David who runs with such purpose and mission towards the giant? In the same way Jesus came, so focused, so obsessed with such purpose and focus to defeat sin, humanity's ultimate nemesis. Jesus comes to set the soul of humanity free. And the Bible says the rock hit Goliath square in the forehead and he fell out. David approached the giant just to ensure the giant was dead. He pulled the sword, Goliath's own sword, and he severed his head from his body. Just in case you thought Goliath could be resuscitated, just in case you thought Goliath just had a headache, he cut the head of Goliath in the same way Jesus cut the head of the dragon off. Sin cannot be resuscitated. Sin does not have resurrection power. I cannot be in my sins or of my sins or controlled by my sins. My champion Jesus has done for me what I cannot do for myself. And when you begin to realize what your champion has accomplished and that he has cut the powers of sins head off and removed it and sin has been buried and your sin has been removed from you as far as the east is from the west, it will change the way you live.
For the Bible says, when they saw what David had done, guess what the Philistines did in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 52? It says they shouted. So the men of Israel shouted. How long had they been quiet? How long had they been silent? How long had they been terrified under the tyranny of this ominous, intimidating, larger-than-life figure? Forty days and forty nights! Which is also identical to the temptation of our Savior who resisted sin forty days and forty nights. The Israelites were so scared but their champion came and now look how they've changed this is a picture of a community a body of believers new covenant believers new system believers who finally realize what their champion has truly accomplished they start to shout says they shout it and they pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley to the gates of Ekron. Do you know what the word Ekron means? It means total eradication. Woo! Eugene Peterson says in this passage, he says there were bodies laying in the streets everywhere all the way to Ekron. The same men who for 40 days stood terrified and silent are now shouting and pursuing. And the Bible says in the next verse, they plundered the enemy how long are you going to stay silent well Judah you don't know what I've been through I had a divorce a couple years ago who am I to say anything more to speak up how long are you going to stay silent well I don't have much to say I claimed bankruptcy about a year ago I'm, I don't even know if ethically it was right I, but I did it and I got really nothing to say as if the Christians who are allowed to speak up are those who bat a thousand. If that was the case, all preachers everywhere unanimously in one moment would be disqualified. You all understand how this preaching thing works, right? I basically talk about what I'm currently working on. So like when I'm up here talking about you should pray, what I'm really saying is, matter of fact, I should pray, actually, now that I think about it. Seems to be working okay, though. This whole, like, speak up even when you still got issues. Since when was that the criteria? Since when was that the expectation that you better stay silent? You got nothing to say, you sinner. Whoa, whoa, whoa! All have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Oh, there was a day I was terrified by my sin, but then my champion, my David, my king, my Jesus came, and he cut the head, and the powers of hell, and the powers of sin have been eradicated, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Somebody shout amen. Sir, it's time for you to speak up again. It's time for you to dream again. The Bible says they shouted, they pursued, they finally began to fulfill the purpose of God for God's people. 
God always intended for Israel to be the pursuer, for Israel to be the victorious, for Israel to be the nation that plundered all other nations. It is time for believers everywhere to stand up, speak up, believe, dream again, and be who God's called you to be. Come on, church. Let's believe again. Revelations 1.18, Jesus said, I am he who lives and was dead, but behold, look at me. Behold, look at me. I'm alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys. This is the words of a champion who has severed the head of our enemy. I have the keys of Hades and of death. Come on. The victory has been accomplished. The victory has been finished. Though I sin, I am not a sinner. I am a saint, and I am a son, and I am righteous, and I am his, and I am more than a conqueror. You believe that? Let's start living this way. Let's start relating with each other this way in light of our seated Savior. Woo! Stuff's about to change for you and your family. (laughs) Stay conscious. Stay conscious of the seated Savior. Stay conscious of your enthroned champion, your David, your Messiah. Think on Him. And may the theme of our heart and the theme of our thoughts and the theme of our community not be sin, but our Savior, our King. Psalm 11, verses 1 through 7. We'll see here that David was in great difficulty. Around him, the archers were getting ready to shoot. Under him, the foundations of society were shaking. What should he do? What would you do? When you're in that kind of situation, your first thought may be to get away as fast as you can. Even David's friends advised him to act like the bird and fly away. It's right to flee from temptation, but not from duty. Now, instead of flying away like a frightened bird, you should really trust God and mount up with wings like eagles. If the foundations are destroyed, lay the foundations again. This is what Ezra did, and what each new generation may have to do. David became king of Israel and laid the foundations for a godly society. After all, God is still on his throne and will one day judge the wicked. If you love righteousness, God is on your side. Psalm 11, verses 1 through 7. For the choir director, a psalm of David. I trust in the Lord for protection. So why do you say to me, fly to the mountains for safety? The wicked are stringing their bows and setting their arrows in the bowstrings. They shoot from the shadows at those who do right. The foundations of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? But the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. He watches everything closely, examining everyone on earth. The Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates everyone who loves violence. He rains down blazing coals on the wicked.
punishing them with burning sulfur and scorching winds. For the Lord is righteous, and He loves justice. Those who do what is right will see His face. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. My child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you, and don't be discouraged when He corrects you. For the Lord corrects those He loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom He delights.